Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cash That. This is your host, Joe Dallara. This is our NBA Finals preview episode. Really excited to bring you guys a lot of my takes, a lot of the situational data that we're looking at and how we're going to break down the NBA Finals between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. But first, wanted to throw this out there. We're doing a little bit of a giveaway. We've partnered with Props.Cash for this. Here's all you got to do. All you need to do is go under our Apple or our pot or, or Spotify, whatever it is, and rate and review the podcast. You do that. Hopefully you give us a five-star rating, but obviously I can't, inf- I don't want to influence your votes. Uh, God forbid, but we will be taking one of the reviewers and giving them a free month of props.cash's service. You guys all know props.cash is the premier props tool in the marketplace for checking out those fantastic graphs and the hit rates and everything. So you're going to get a little bit of time here with the NBA finals. We'll get a little bit of time with the NHL finals. And so the Stanley cup, but then you will also get a nice month of WNBA and major league baseball. So it's a lot of fun. It's a really great tool. And I think it's integral to betting on player props. And as you guys know, that's one of my favorite things to do. So all you need to do, like I said, is review, rate and review the podcast on whatever streaming platform you use, uh, generally Apple, obviously, or Spotify, and we will be picking one of you at random and announcing that next week on the podcast. So uh, please do that. It's great for us. It's great for you. And you potentially get a chance to win a free month of props.cash. So with that, let's dive into the NBA finals. Obviously, I think a lot of us were a little bit surprised. I think you'd be remiss or or at least a Miami Heat fan, right? If you were not surprised by this result, by having the Miami Heat making it to the NBA finals. Obviously, when they were up 3-0, it's like, oh, well, like obviously like they should make it. But it did set up quite the situation for for everybody. And you know, they they really did almost blow it. And who knows? I mean, if Tatum didn't twist his ankle on the first play of the game. Maybe things go a little bit differently or it's a little bit closer, but either way, really fun series. And now it's going to be quite the interesting spot against the Denver Nuggets who have really just cruised on their way through the playoffs. So uh, I, I, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised when they hear me say that I really like Denver in this series. And I, I genuinely would not be surprised to see a sweep And it's going to be something that I think is important for some of the plays that I'm going to be giving out. And I think it's also important to understand here. So right off the top, I'm going to give you my favorite bet for the finals for the series. And that's the Denver Nuggets minus one and a half games. You can get that about minus 135 at the time of this recording. But Denver has a significant advantage in terms of talent on the court. They have the best player in the league. They have have the best player in the NBA, in my opinion, Nikola Jokic. And they also have a huge rest advantage here. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about game one in particular, but that rest advantage is so significant, right? Denver's been, Denver hasn't played in 10 days, 10 days before, like at the time of, uh, you know, what the finals date is going to start at on Thursday, right? 10 days is a long time. When teams in the playoffs have seven or more days off 
and it's not the first round. So it's the conference finals, the second round or the NBA finals. And the opposing team has had one to three days off that the team is 17 and five against the spread with that type of rest advantage. So I mean, it, it's so it's such a significant advantage. It's a 51.5% ROI. It is so meaningful to have all of those all of those days off and all that time off because not only do you get the chance to rest, you get to rejuvenate your body, you get to game plan. So I know that you know we kind of were in the situation where Denver got was like, well, we don't know who we're going to play, we don't know our opponent. Look you're getting time where you're not focusing on the team that you're playing. You're, you can focus a little bit of time on both teams. And honestly, it gives you the op- opportunity to watch more things play out. You get to see how teams in desperation, mode, like what are their moves that they do? What do they do differently? What do they throw out there? And like for Miami, for example, like they didn't really switch a ton of pick and rolls they switched a ton of pick and rolls in game seven. So that's something that they didn't normally do, but then they brought that out in game seven. And now Denver's gotten a little bit of film on that, right? So it's really significant. And when we look at the numbers as well, teams that are coming off game sevens playing a team that didn't play a game seven are already at a disadvantage. And that those numbers trend towards the team with more rest. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, if you didn't play seven games, you took care of your business faster. Whoever you were playing, you were a lot better then. Whereas in game seven, you know, it's sometimes it's matchup, obviously, but the series stretched on. The series got longer. The series went longer, you know, than you may have thought, and you didn't have the opportunity to rest. So I really like Denver in game one. I think at the minus eight and a half, minus nine, whatever it is, I think you can take that. And Denver has been one of the best teams at home in the NBA throughout the course of the season. And a lot of it has to do with the altitude, right? So you have a Miami heat team that played a, like a tremendous game. They, uh, they played game five in Boston. Then they had to play game six in Miami. Then they had to go back to Boston for game seven. And then right from Boston, they go to Denver and you're going to be playing at altitude. You're going to be dealing with all the media and you know, the media is important but it also is just a tougher thing. It's just another thing that they had to deal with. So you're getting these busy, busy days and you got to not only practice and game plan and recover, you got to get ready and get out there to play on the road in a hostile environment against realistically the, the best team in the league right now and the best team in the playoffs. You just record like a really big podcast uh, for Action Network with, Brandon Anderson, Jim Turvey, and Matt Moore with a lot of the prop angles that I like in this series. And I'll touch on a couple of them here, but I think number one, you should listen to that podcast. It's great. Um, And number two, I want to talk about some of the bigger picture things as well. And like some of the game plan issues, right? So like when we look at the, these two teams, I think that Spo genius, right? I don't know to what extent, like to what extent he, like the tools that he has in this series, right? So we just, I think it's interesting now. The narrative has kind of swung and they're like, oh, well, Denver is like, they've had an easy path to the finals somehow, even though they've been underdogs in like half of the series that they've been in, right? So 
it's really curious to me when I'm looking at these games and looking at what these teams can do. I don't think that Miami has really played a team as good as Denver in the playoffs. Well, Joe, they played the Bucks, They played the Celtics. They played the Knicks. I mean, let's not get into the Knicks. But, like, look, the Bucks hurt Giannis. Um, and that, that matters, obviously. It matters significantly. The Knicks, well, I mean, look, I love the Knicks as well as much as anybody. Knicks should, could have won that series maybe, but just, you know, it, it was what it was. They, they were able to stop Brunson, and Randall just, you know, looked like he didn't care. Um, then Boston. What I think was interesting about the Boston series is that one of the things that we always talk about, right, is we talk about three-point variance and, like, how important that is and, like, why that's beneficial to a team like Miami, which it was. Miami was incredible from three-point range during that series, right? And their shooting was unbelievable, especially Caleb Martin. Shouts out to him. The thing that's interesting, right, is that Boston, they built this incredible offense, and it was centered primarily around shooting threes. So they were a team that had an excellent offense, and it was based on three-point shooting and basically you know there's been conversation about how when the threes fell boston also won i think that the better way to phrase it though is that the shot selection that boston relied on which was so heavy like heavily geared towards the three-point line it actually opened them up to more variance in these games where you're like, well, they should win. And generally when you're like the underdog, you want to create that variance by like taking more threes and trying to get a math advantage, whatever. But when you're the favorite and you're the more talented team, and that's what you rely on is that three point shooting. If somebody can scheme against you or do something from a coaching perspective, I think it opens you up to even more variance where there's games that you should win that you ultimately do lose. And that's the thing that I think was interesting in the Miami and Boston series with Michael or with Eric Spolstra and Joe Mazzula, Joey Mozzarella over there, you know, but I think it was interesting because Spo was able to game plan in a way where even though the series went seven, they kept taking like different things away and kind of throwing off what Boston wanted to do. And they did just enough really to get through. So I think that, but I think that Boston, they had that ability to come back in the series, right. Um, and potentially be the first team to ever come back from down to Oh three in the NBA playoffs. But they, their style of offense was also conducive to this type of like letdown performance for lack of a better word. When we look at Denver, I think that this is significantly different, right? So over the course of the regular season, when you look at these numbers, Denver was, you know, excellent, obviously. 
Um, Boston actually had a better adjusted offensive rating, barely, right? Um, 117.9. Denver was at 116.9. Denver's defense is not necessarily good. Um, 18th in adjusted net during the regular season. When we look at the offense here of Miami and my, what Miami's like overall rankings were, Miami was not a great team offensively. Uh, they were 25th in adjusted offensive rating, 20th in overall adjusted net rating, but they were eighth in defense. A lot of it's because they throw a lot of zone at you. They have some different, like you know, a little bit more unique looks, right? So Miami could do some different things. And I think that that's important. And that's where the coaching comes in. What's happened though in the playoffs too is Denver is the best team in the playoffs. Uh, they have a plus 9.2 point differential. Miami is second and their point differential is plus 3.4. That difference is significant, right? So the difference between Denver and Miami is 5.8. The net, the to go down the line here, that 5.8 would take you all the way underneath basically Atlanta and it puts you like right around Atlanta, Sacramento for like 10th and 11th here in the playoffs out of all the teams in the playoffs. So like the difference is astronomical right like that's how big denver's lead is the thing that's been crazy is that miami is just shooting the lights out and they're doing this and like you know denver's defense is not necessarily the best we've talked about this right miami is shooting 54.2 percent in terms of their effective field goal percentage throughout the playoffs their expected is 53.5%. So that's a pretty significant departure from like what they're expected to do. And it's even crazier when you think about the fact that they're not, they're still not even shooting like a ton of threes. So they're just, they're just not missing. The problem is like you go play Denver, Denver is in actually a similar scenario throughout the playoffs. They're like actual effective field goal percentage outpaces their expected effective field goal percentage. However, the shooters that you have on Denver, it's not as surprising. You have some of the best three-point shooters in the league in uh, KCP, Michael Porter Jr., and even Jamal Murray. So it's not the most surprising thing in the world to see Denver shooting 39.8% from three. But what is surprising is you're seeing Miami shoot 38.5% from three. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of talking in a little bit of a circle here, but with what Miami can do to stop this Denver offense or vice versa, I struggle to see the, the proper path for them. And the problem with Miami is, I think something might not be 100% with Jimmy Butler. We've seen his scoring decline a bit. And with this series, I think that playing Denver is like a shock to the system, right? So you've played all these teams really over the past month and a half that have these like significant offensive flaws, right? 
So Boston, they rely heavily on threes and Brown and Tatum. They kind of like delve into ISO wall when things go bad or whatever. The Knicks heavily, heavily, heavily relying on Jalen Brunson, the Milwaukee Bucks. um, Giannis was hurt. Now you play a Denver Nuggets team that has realistically the best offensive player in the league in Jokic. And they have a team that around him that is good top to bottom. And they're deep too. Like even when you go into the bench and you go into the rotations, they have so many different looks that they can throw at you due to talent or different specific talents, but also due to scheme or due to size. They have pivots that they can make. And that I think is critically important against this Miami team. Additionally, like when we really look at the starting lineups, Denver has a ton of size over Miami. And there's a lot you can do with scheme, right? Where you can, you know, make guys play up or like you can double somebody and, you know, get over like a height advantage, whatever. The problem in this series is that for Miami to do that, you almost need to do that for everyone. Everybody's bigger, basically, for Denver. Jokic is bigger than Bam. Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, you know, you're looking at Kevin Love, Caleb, Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler, like they're, like they're smaller than them. So it's created this really interesting scenario where you have to say, well, what does Miami do defensively to try to stop Jokic? Like, what is their decision that they make? I think that you, if you're Miami, you would just say, look, He's going to get what he's going to get offensively. We'd rather him score against us than let him open up the passing books and passing lanes. Uh, We don't want to double him. We don't want him to have everybody else cooking and give them open looks. We want to limit Jokic as a passer and we'll live with him as a scorer. People are like, well, that's like, that's crazy. Like, how do you do that? Look, you just, you can't take everything away from him. But what you can do is if you make him a scorer and maybe you put more pressure on Jamal Murray, because that's what you can do then as you're focusing the defense. Like the thing is, if you focus on Jokic to stop him from scoring, then you're basically playing four on three with the other guys. And he's going to find whoever is not being covered. And Denver's shooting is good enough top to bottom to make those shots or make those cuts, you know, move and have effective team basketball. If you pull, if you stop Murray and you let Jokic score and you basically just put him in one-on-one with maybe Kevin Love and just say like, look, man, like you're just going to have to deal with this. Then it gets a little interesting because, you know, he's a good scorer. He's a good post scorer. Like he can get his buckets. But it definitely creates and puts a lot more pressure on guys that aren't necessarily shot creators in like KCP, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. They're they're excellent at, you know, either cutting or catch and shoot, corner threes, whatever. But Jamal Murray is the other guy that can kind of create his own shot. So if you're able to stop that or limit that, then I think that's Miami's path. But even then, like can you live with Jokic just shredding you offensively? And 
that also begs the question, what do you do with Bam Adebayo? Like, how do you use him? Because the inclination is obviously, you know, you put Bam on Jokic. But I don't know if you can necessarily do that. You know, obviously, like Matt Moore wrote about this and how there's like the wonky matchup data. In 44 minutes of Jokic versus Bam, Jokic has 52 points and 25 assists. Just monster, monster numbers, heads up. There's only so much you can do. I don't, you can't play zone against Denver. Maybe in the nine Jokic minutes, but otherwise you can't play zone. You could try to play drop, but then Jamal Murray is probably going to shred you up top. And if you switch, well, then you run into the matchup hunting issue where everybody on Denver is bigger than your guys. So now you can exacerbate that even more and and expose that type of weakness from a personnel perspective. So I really do think that this is a series that is going to be short. Um, it's not really to knock Miami. It just is that I think that they have played about as well as they could. And right now they're finally running into a team that's just flat out better from top to bottom. On the flip side of that matchup, you obviously have Bam Adebayo, right? So what I think is interesting about Bam is he kind of got a lot of flack for his performance, at least from a scoring perspective in the last series. I think that one, his line is a little bit low for him to, for his points per game line on DraftKings. And you can get that line as right around um, 16.6 points per game. So I think that that's an interesting bet. And I actually like the over here. So even in the postseason, he's only averaged 16.2 points per game. Um, But his hit rate on the 16 and a half line is nine for 20. What I think is more interesting, right, is that over the course of the entire season, he's averaging 19.5 and has exceeded 16.5 points in 66% of games. Additionally, in the games he's played against Denver, he's also scored well, and he's averaged 18.8 points against Denver over the last two seasons, going over his 16.5 line in both games this season with 22 and 19. I think that we're getting a little bit of a discount here because the teams that he played in the playoffs were good at defending him. Realistically, you have Milwaukee who, who had, you know, Giannis to throw at him, Brooke Lopez to throw at him. Uh, obviously Giannis only when he's healthy, but Brooke Lopez as well. Tougher matchup against New York. He kind of got it going as the series went on, but Mitchell Robinson's a good counter for him. Isaiah Hartenstein's also a good counter. Boston, though, it's a little bit harder to score, and they needed him to facilitate as well for the offense to kind of run. So he went under this 16.5 line in five straight games, despite starting off hot with 20 and 22. I like him to go over this line because I think that the matchup against Jokic is one where Denver will not want to sacrifice Jokic fouls for Bam to score. 
Um, and I could see, you know, maybe him getting a couple extra easier buckets just to avoid some foul trouble from Jokic as the game progresses. So, because obviously he's such an important player in this series. Additionally, Bam's going to need to play as many minutes as he can possibly handle. And I just think that at this line, I know that he struggled over the past couple of games, but over the course of the entire season, and that's something that I would like to look at here, I think that Denver, given their pace, given their ability to, you know, maybe let something slide here, like pivot off of Bam offensively to save Jokic from some foul trouble or anything like that. I think that that is going to open things up for Bam offensively from a scoring perspective. And the 16.6 is just too low, especially when you consider the fact that his regular season averages were far above that. And even the median outcome was 18 points per game. So I like Bam to go over that 16.6 points per game in this series. Obviously, one of the other players that people want to hear about is Jimmy Butler. And what do I think about Jimmy? Well, I think that Jimmy, we've seen his production drop, at least from an offensive perspective, just a bit over the last couple of games here. Um, I With Jimmy, you know, look, he was dynamite to start the playoffs. You know, playoff Jimmy going crazy against Chicago, Milwaukee, had the first game against Boston. He's scored. He's had one 30 point game. Since the Milwaukee series. Prior during the Milwaukee series in the playing games. Out of those seven games, he had five games with 30 or more points. Since then, 12 games, one game over 30 points. He's kind of living in that like 24, 27 range, 28 points lines at 27 and a half. Same as Jokic. I think that Jimmy, if he's the best scoring option for Miami, they have no chance in this series because it means that nobody else is going, right? I think that they're their best path is probably spamming some pick and roll with Jimmy and Bam, maybe a little Caleb Martin, um, or using Jimmy for dribble penetration, getting some driving kicks, getting those guys the three-point line, seeing what he can generate through contact. But if he's not 100%, which it's been tough to see, if he is, it definitely makes it a little bit more interesting, right? And it definitely changes the analysis a bit. I like this one prop. You can get this between like 20 to 1, 22 to 1. And it's for Jokic to outscore Jimmy Butler in every game of the series. I really like this play because it's a way to back Jokic as a scorer, which I like. And I think that his floor is still like 25 points. Like he just he just scores a lot. That's just what he's been doing, right? And Jimmy, he does have some of these games that are lower. Like he's got a 19-point game, a 16-point game, a 14-point game. Jokic, you know, his floor 
for the most part, has been 24 points. And he's had way more 30-point games, at least recently, right? Against Phoenix, against the Lakers. Um, I think that the number that you're getting here is good. The other thing is, like I've been saying, like I think that Denver sweeps the series or maybe takes it in five. When I'm taking those things into consideration, right? So like this bet, you can basically bet this heads up on DraftKings right now anyway. And you can bet Jokic to have more points in game one than Jimmy Butler. And it's about minus 110. The way I look at these bets, I think that they have, they lose value the longer the series goes, obviously, because you're basically taking a minus 110 bet and like rolling it over, rolling it over, rolling it over, rolling it over. If it's a four-game series or a five-game series, you're still getting a little bit of extra value. And that's why I like some of these options. So I I think that Jimmy would best be used as an assist guy. And I like him to lead the series in assists. You can sprinkle that at like 34 to 1, 33 to 1 on uh Bet365. But to me, when I watch what Miami's able to do, in order for them to open up this offense, you need Jimmy to be a facilitator. You need him to be a guy that can really like take the contact, get the offense rolling, be the be in those tough situations, right? And I think that Jimmy is somebody that can do that. And I think he's selfless enough to do that. And I don't really love him in game one anyway, just based on the rest and, and everything. But I think that I'd look to play maybe his assists per game or assists on a per game basis. Uh, I don't think I'll play it in game one just because I'm a little weary about what's going to happen in game one. I think it's such a smash spot for Denver. So I'll wait, but it's definitely something I might come back in on again a little bit later. But I think that Jimmy Butler is best going to be used as a facilitator in this series. And, you know, he's obviously still going to score, but not as a primary. I don't think that he should be the number one scoring option just de facto for Miami on a game-to-game basis. Overall, though, I think that this is going to be like a really, really exciting series. I'm very interested to see what we get here. I think you're getting one of the best basketball players in Jokic, right? Then you're getting Jimmy Butler, you're getting Bam Adebayo, you're getting Jamal Murray, and you're getting some of these other matchups, right? Um, I I think this is going to be an exciting series from a basketball perspective, just in terms of seeing like what these teams do. And a lot of it's going to be what can Spolster do to try to slow down this Denver team. We'll see. You know, I'll never count them out, even though I really do think that this is a Denver series and I'm heavily invested in Denver. But, you know, at the same time, Spoh's done crazier things. And, you know, this walk through the East that they made or this march through the East is significant and it's notable. So can't count them out. But I do think that there's a lot of value on Denver in these spots and there's a couple of things that I'm going to be watching and it's going to be obviously, how do they defend Jokic? What do they do with Jimmy and Bam? 
how do they generate offense? Does Caleb Martin go right back to the bench or is he going to be like a continued mainstay in this offense? What's his role like? Um, What does it look like when Tyler Hero presumably comes back as they're projecting game three? And, you know, for Denver, can they generate offense if Jokic is a scorer or if he's unable to score and he's only really used as a passer? What do they do if there's foul trouble? And I think that's going to be a major question for both of these teams. What do you do if your guys are in foul trouble? Because Denver... I think has a couple more options than Miami, but if Miami's able to force Jokic into foul trouble, then that's where a series or a game could get particularly interesting. So there's a lot of chess pieces to move. We'll definitely be coming back around here, you know, after game one, after game two, seeing where we're at with the series, what we expect, but my best bet for the series, like I said, Denver minus one and a half games. I think that you can bet them minus two and a half games and Denver four to nothing as well. It's it's a really tough draw for Miami. And I think that Jokic is one of the few players, if not the only player, that can really give Bam fits from a defensive standpoint. So I'm very excited to watch it. I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be an awesome series. It's gonna be fantastic. But for game one in particular, like I said, I'm looking at Denver. Uh, I'm going to take some of their lines, you know, at minus, you know, minus eight and a half, minus nine. Those numbers are fine. I also like Michael Porter Jr. You guys know I love Michael Porter Jr., but I like him to go over the two and a half threes line. He kind of has heated up a little bit more of late, like especially in the Lakers series where he finished the series going over this line in four straight games. But I, I really like him. In the last game that he played against the Miami Heat, he took 13 threes, so just a tremendous amount of volume here. And he's only got to make three of them. So I really do like Michael Porter Jr. to go over that line. Obviously, it's slightly impacted if Jokic is being used as a little bit more of a scorer. However... It should still, those shots should still be there. He's going to get his minutes. He's going to play plenty of time. And pretty much anybody that they throw at him, he can shoot right over. So I like Michael Porter Jr. in this spot. But look, I'm going to get you out of here. I know producer Corey, who did want to give a hockey play, he said the Florida Panthers in six, book it. And from a little pods and recs perspective, going to recommend uh, Didis, but my fiance, she made like a spaghetti squash uh, and it was great. Put it in the oven, put uh, feta cheese, obviously, well, a little bit of olive oil. Then you do, you know, like the salt, pepper, oregano, a little basil, et cetera. And uh, then put, the, put some feta down and then did like chopped up or like really halved cherry tomatoes. Bake them face up. 50 minutes in the oven was fantastic. Added a little bit of ground turkey to it for a little bit of meat. Really, really good meal. Very light meal. Kind of keeps you on your feet. Gets you ready to go. Let's you really get into the teeth of things. Keeps you sustained and allows you all of the ability to cash that. 